As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Today on the show, we welcome Blair Reeves, who's a product manager at SaaS and the coming author of Building for Business. We talked to Blair specifically about enterprise product management, some of the tips and techniques and even the differences that he's seen in his 15 plus years working in product. It's a great interview for anyone working in product, but especially if you're leading a larger team. So stay tuned. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. In season four of Rocketship, we are diving into everything product and growth. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We're your hosts, Michael Saka and Mike Belsito. Right. Blair, welcome. Welcome to the show. Excited to, to have you on here to talk about enterprise product management. Um, why don't you give me just a quick background on, on your 
career working in in sure, product. Sure. Thanks for thanks for having me on too. Um, so uh, my name is Blair Reeves. I'm a principal product manager here at SaaS Software. Uh, we're a very large data analytics and data management provider based in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, I've been working in enterprise software, uh, not only in product management though. Uh, for the last several years in product management, uh, for uh, for a number of years, first at uh, IBM, uh, then at Demandware, which uh, later became the Salesforce Commerce Cloud, uh, and now at SaaS. Uh, and so before that, I, I held some roles in product marketing, um, some uh, you know cross functional projects like that, uh, and that's really how I got into technology before. Uh, before that, I was, I was at business school, and I actually worked in international aid. <laughs> but before that, so I'm a, I'm wow. like a expat <laughs> here in, uh, here in <laughs> um, yeah. And, uh, and so now I'm uh, I, I own a product here at SaaS that uh, that is our first native uh, enterprise SaaS product uh, at our company. Now, one issue we run into sometimes: uh, our company is called SaaS SAS. And we refer to SaaS as our company, but also enterprise SaaS software as a service. So. Occasionally, that can get a little uh, confusing. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So, um, I mean, today we want to dig into how enterprise product management may differ from what we often talk about startup and and smaller company product management. Yeah, absolutely. So, there's a lot of there's a lot of ways in which product management really uh, the nature of the function changes as you get larger as an organization. So, you know, a lot of smaller companies you know, may not even have a product management function, right? I mean, if you're a small startup, you know, you, your uh, lead developer or CTO or even the CEO may may effectively be the product manager. Um, you know, if you're still searching for product market fit, uh, for example, or if um, you know if you're re- reaching a particular audience. In which you know the customer feedback is necessarily as important as maybe market feedback, right? That those are situations in which you know the product management function might be slower to form uh, at a company. And, and what we're seeing, of course, now in you know enterprise software as a service, enterprise SaaS, is that you know product management has become sort of the de facto you know default um, function for uh, guiding product development, planning, design, and so forth. Uh, and and uh, that's really been a big change over the last like 15 years or so. Ever since like the first you know Web 2.0 you know, boom kicked off, um, and uh, you know one thing you know people talk about this a lot how you know Google and Facebook actually their gargantuan mega growth cycle um, resulted in this in this great you know proliferation of product people and product mindset throughout the tech industry that uh, has affected us all. Mm. And so. Um, when you, when, you know, you, you mentioned kind of market uh, versus customer validation. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about how, how you are on, on your daily pulling in those, um, those, those validation. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, you know, a big part of product management of course, is, is gathering customer input. Um, that is easier for uh, someone in a consumer business, for example, or it often is, right? So for example, like if you are a product manager at Facebook, Right, you can A B test, and they do A B A B C D E N, <laughs> you know, test yeah, everything yeah. constantly. Right, so if you're at Google, you can, you know, and they famously do this. They they test you know multiple shades of green in their logo, and they turn that on for an hour, and they have a few million data points. Right, um, and so some of the testing in, in that in that space, lots of really interesting stuff. Most of it is impossible uh, in 
uh, enterprise enterprise SaaS, enterprise software. Not I, I don't want to say impossible. It depends on the kind of product and where you are, but um, that's very very difficult to do. Um, not only because and sorry, I just want to clarify. The reason is because you're not working with the same volume to get you know unbiased. Uh, enough enough data points to get unbiased results. Well, that's one reason. Yeah. So usually, I mean, we have you know, a very successful enterprise software product might have several dozen customers. Might have um, you know could have hundreds. You know, if you're, a, if you're a very large platform like you know like Salesforce or Adobe or one of these, they have you know tens of thousands of customers on their platform, uh, and then you know many many more users. Below those uh, customers, um, but a very another very successful product might have several dozen customers, right? And and those customers are paying you a lot more money. So that's one reason, right? So testing, you know, is going to vary, you know, um, greatly depending on what industry those customers are in. Maybe the maybe the the uh, use of your tool that they're using. But the other big part of this, of course, is that their customers are paying you money, right? So. You change, uh, you change something in their in their UI or in their interface. You know, enterprise customers don't like that. <laughs> they, uh, you get a lot of you get, you get some uh, nasty grams when you know, uh, you know a, a, a toolbar is different or a drop down menu is different or you know, they don't like being play, being guinea pigs. Uh, and there are still ways you can you can do it, but they, it's more of an opt in process. So it's a lot harder to get that kind of instant testing feedback than it is in like a consumer business. And so what methods do you use, right, in addition to um, some of the data collection in order to validate either your ideas or, or what you guys have already built and put out there? Mm-hmm. So uh, there are a couple ways of do, doing this. Uh, there's a lot, I mean, there's inevitably a large judgment aspect to this, right? Uh, but, you know, we, all, we always want to bring as much data as we can into the, into the process. So there's a lot of different ways that we go about collecting customer input. Uh, and cu- customer intelligence. So one of those, of course, the easiest ways is go to a customer and ask what they want, or ask or ask about you know how they're using your product, how they're using their tool. Um, ask about their their jobs, right? So you know, customer visits are are gold. You know, you go to a customer, interview whoever you can, understand the business they're in, right? So if they're using your tool and they're you know in in a, a retail industry, they're going to use your 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 product probably quite differently than someone in the travel industry. Or insurance, or a financial services provider, or you know what have you. So you know there's a lot of there's you can do job shadowing. There are you know direct interviews. Um, you know just watching how someone use your tool is 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 really key in a kind of a user testing kind of way. Um, there are all kinds of you know product managers full of these like fun games you can play when you go visit a customer. So you know one of the things I like to do is you know, you, you bring like a hundred bucks of Monopoly money. Okay. <laughs> you, you okay. You give it out to like you know five different users of your product, and you lay out you know five or six different uh, kind of feature areas that you would like to work on in your roadmap. You say, well, look, buy a, buy a feature. If you had you know to allocate you know your monopoly money across a couple of features, where would you spend that money? And um, you know, it's really interesting to see what what features users are quote unquote buying with their monopoly money, right? Um, and some of that's kind of a lot of fun. But the other thing here is, you know, a lot, you can't possibly visit all your customers. You know, it's really hard to get customers that want to spend time with you sometimes. And so um, sometimes you can do that. When you can't, um, you have to talk to, with your sellers. Because, of course, your sales force are the ones who are spending all their day talking to prospects, talking to your customers, talking to the market. 
Uh, and there are lots of different ways as enterprise product managers, we have to kind of download, you know, the insights that, that our sales force is, is bringing back to, you know, back, back into our house. Um, and you have to interrogate that too. I mean, you know, sometimes sellers have, have you know, a correct you know, perspective. Sometimes they have a perspective that's a little, you know, a little strange or a little out there. Sometimes they're right. Sometimes they're wrong. They're human. Um, and so figuring out a good way of, of parsing all that, you know, input, um, that's the, that's the, you know, a big part of what we do. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Now back to the show. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, so when you, you look at the, the team and kind of the day to day of, of product management within an enterprise organization, what differences do you see between, you know, a, a mid or large company versus this enterprise uh, space? Or, or maybe a lot of, there's a lot of overlap. Uh, you know, there's, there's a, there are, are a number of differences. So, you know, one of the more eye opening things I ever did was I worked at Demandware when we were really a growth stage firm. So we were, you know, uh, we were making money and we're fast, you know, deals were coming in. It was great. In our like large enterprise, uh, you know, segment that we were trying to sell into, you know, the really, really big retailers, um, you know, that was kind of an uphill battle for us and we were very successful at it. But, um, you know, what a lot of smaller and mid-sized companies uh, consider their, you know, big, big, big accounts those are the folks at IBM, Oracle, Microsoft, um, you know, those, those guys, you know, they, they, that, that's like their, their typical deal, you know? So, uh, you know, like a small, like for, for a very large enterprise software vendor, their SMB kind of segment might be, um, you know, a smaller mid-sized company's big, big tier. Right. And a lot of that just has to do with this, your, your sales strategy. I mean, you know, the, you go to any airport and all those, all the, Technology vendors who's like ads are everywhere, <laughs> you know, uh, they're the ones who are, who are selling to these, you know, gigantic multinational corporations who do have a lo- large bu- budget to spend on software. Um, but how you sell into those companies is, is quite different than how you sell into like a smaller company. Uh, and it relies more on, you know, brand level, uh, marketing, solution level marketing, uh, long term, you know, sales engagements. Uh, and relationships. And that's what makes the big guys really successful. And uh, it's very, it's very time consuming and can be very expensive uh, for smaller companies to, uh, to replicate. Do you think about the product differently um, when you're, you know, when, when your clients are enterprise level versus kind of SMBs? I, I think, I think so. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of times a very large, uh, you know, enterprise client is going to have a relationship with your vendor as as like a, a company to company relationship rather than um, a, a product relationship. And what I mean by that is, you know, you have you know Big Bank X, right? Um, Big Bank X is an IBM account, or they're an Oracle account, or they're a Salesforce account, or whatever. Uh, and and they they probably don't just buy one product from that company. They probably buy a lot of products from that company, and you know those are negotiated in these gigantic, you know, messy Frankenstein deals <laughs> that involve a lot of money changing hands. And you know when that bank looks at a smaller vendor, um, you know they're buying a product from that company, but they don't really see them as a peer. Um, and and that changes the relationship quite a bit, uh, and it doesn't mean it's it's, it's it, you can't be navigated. It's just a very different again, a very different sales process and how you negotiate that relationship. 
um, certainly from a sales sales perspective, but also from a product perspective and a leadership perspective, um, is is quite different. Do you like? When you're working with Big Bank X, um, oftentimes we hear in enterprise software, there's a lot of customization because they have very specific processes. They have very specific software that they need to integrate with. And you need to manage that, right, as as a product manager. Um, You know, can can you shed some insight on on how that's done and and how you look at these custom these custom requests? Sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, So a, a typical, so an enterprise SaaS, um, and you know, on-premise world was was quite similar, but even in the SaaS world, you know, a, a sales cycle easily is six to twelve months, right? Um, and then you, when you get into a very large company, who may have extensive customization requirements and so forth. Uh, banks, of course, are famous for that, but you know, lots of companies do it. Um, gosh, that is that could be a twelve-month, eighteen-month implementation cycle longer if you're talking about training and solution training and stuff like that, which can be good, right? I mean, that's it can be all profitable services and whatever else, but it's all, it's just a longer process, uh, and it's a process you have to you have to prepare for. So, as a product manager, um, one of the things you know you learn as a product manager for especially for like a large enterprise SaaS platform is that sometimes your customers. Um, you know, no two implementations are correct. So you're uh, sorry, are, are, are the same. Hopefully mm-hmm. they're correct. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, when they're not the same, you know, your, your customers can teach you things about your own product. Um, you know, especially if you have, you know, you're customizing all kinds of variables and, and all kinds of, you know, setups and whatever. Uh, your customers can come to you with requests that are, are, are downright arcane. You know, as a product manager, you should understand your product, of course, but, you know, it is not infrequent uh, that you know our customers are teaching us stuff, um, and uh, and and that's a real, also a really valuable you know line of input. But it's something that a customer, a product manager, has to learn uh, to keep an open line of communication with the community of users around her or his product, uh, and, uh, and and that's one reason uh, one one channel for for you know understanding your product better, but also understanding your market and customer better. How involved are you in those conversations with the sales team as you know during that you know, nine to, to sixteen month process of um, of putting the deal together? Yeah, you know, this is one of the key one of the key differences between enterprise product management and kind of consumer facing product management is that um, you know every product manager in enterprise software uh, interacts with sales, and if if you don't, I mean. Maybe there are exceptions. I don't know. I've never seen any, Uh, you know, Um, but, uh, you know, like we're not, you know, we're not account managers, so we can't be in the weeds helping every deal get customized, of course. But, um, you know, we we, we know what deals are in the pipeline. We know who's in the process of implementation right now. We know what that implementation cycle is like. Um, A lot of, uh, you know, enterprise PMs I know. Uh, have implemented their product before, um, at least in, in an elementary way, and it really gives you insight into how I don't say how painful that process can be, but you know how how uh, complicated it can be. Um, you know, and, and so you know we have a sales and marketing team that we are accountable to, and we have to help support. And uh, you know, every PM should be talking with our sales and marketing colleagues, um, if not daily, um, then at least on a very, very, very regular. Cadence, um, and that's one big difference because in the consumer world, uh, most consumer PMs I know never interact with anyone from sales until they're at a very, very senior level. Because of course, you know, maybe sales 
isn't even talking to their users at all. Maybe they're <laughs> they have sales teams and an ad team or something like that, which is a completely different dynamic that affects how you plan, build, and design your product. Do how much um, how much control over saying yes or no do you have in those negotiations? Is there a lot of pushback um, from the product team? I know there is in consumer world and in the SaaS world, is it more like, let's figure out how to get this done or are there things that you say no to? Oh, sure. I mean, half of the product manager's job is saying no, right? Okay. You know, cause you know, there's, you know, every customer, um, you know, wants what they want and, you know, and this is also like a difference, right? If a if, look, if a customer is, you know, is on the hook for a very, very, very large deal, um, you know, at the end of the day, our job is to sell software, right? right. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, let's 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 kick that out out of the roadmap and go do what <laughs> they want to do, right? Um, but that's also a judgment thing, right? I mean, if you know, it's going to depend. Is this valuable to other customers? If it is, all the better. If it's not, you know, we have to. We, is, there's a weighing of cost and benefit there, but. Um, you know that's the that's the thing. I mean, is it is it worth it to us as a company? Is it worth it from us uh, as from a development perspective? About you know around the resources we have to deploy, um, and that's a discussion where we bring in our development leaders and and, and talk with them. Because um, you know every salesperson comes into our office and says, "Look, we can clinch the deal if you just do X, right?" And what we've learned is that sometimes it's true, sometimes it's not. <laughs> and the sales guy just wants to <laughs> get the contract signed and say that we'll do this. And so that's a uh, it's it's something you have to learn about your team and also about the the customers you're dealing with. What could um, what could product managers at smaller organizations or even even consumer facing organizations learn from? an enterprise product manager. So you mean at a, a smaller company, learn about you know doing product management in a, in a larger company? Or, you know, what could, um, are, are there any processes or, or organizational techniques that, that you do at the enterprise level that could also be implemented um, and may be helpful to someone uh, managing a, a smaller team or a smaller product? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, one of the hardest things, famously, right, for large companies to do is to align themselves around a goal. Um, and there are lots of ways in which smart, smart product managers can do this. And even in large organizations, you know, in our, in our book that I'll talk about in a minute, we, we have a, we have a product leadership team model that we, we kind of break down. And this is a, this is an approach that's used in a lot of, uh, really high functioning enterprise SaaS, you know, sort of vendors. Um, but, you know, it's a basically a way to align, you know, all kind of the principles in the product design process, you know, leadership, product engineering, um, and marketing and sales around, you know, a set number of goals and then kind of figuring out how we, you know, what are the, what are the milestones to achieve those, you know, product goals for the year? Uh, you know, we can leave those kind of decisions up to, you know, product and development to hash out and figure out, you know, the details, but, once everyone's aligned around what those goals are and how we stay accountable to them, um, that's really the you know the really big key step to change the discussion from you know uh, what and and how we're going to do this to a discussion around um, you know when and what steps, which are is much more productive kind of uh, uh, setup. So you can do that in a smaller organization. Because uh, you know, even small small companies frequently have issues around aligning everyone around the right goals. Um, you know, big companies uh, have a big problem with aligning, you know, deciding what those goals are, uh, and then staying accountable to them. 
And I think that smaller companies can actually have a, an advantage in doing that and in, in deciding, um, you know, here's what we're going to do with the product this year. Uh, you know, we can always remain flexible, but here's our, our idea and we'll, we'll go do this. And, and when you're a company of 50 people, it's a little bit easier to do that than when you're a company of a uh, hundred thousand people. Yeah. And, and, um, have you have you worked in both where where you know have have you brought this into an organization this kind of accountability um what have the effects been so yeah the product leadership team uh, is a is, it's it's both an organizational and a kind of almost a cultural change for some companies um and you know a, a lot of um a lot of larger companies that have are, are been around for a while um and have moved to an agile uh, model, for example, for delivering software, or have moved to um, software as a service as a delivery model. Um, that's a really painful and can be a really traumatic move for some of these people. And yeah. um, and, and so using the you know using that as an opportunity to instill a new way of keeping everyone aligned is really great because you know in a in a the old in the bad old days right our your roadmap might be three years long. I mean you know. I know people who are, you know, the on-premise software world is still alive and kicking, by the way. And I know people who are working in it, and they're planning their roadmaps for 2021, 2022, 2023. Um, and that world is not going away. Um, it's, it's not growing very fast, but it's out there. And um, that, so staying accountable to those goals doesn't require the kind of you know, high-touch accountability that you know, enterprise SaaS requires. Right. Um, yeah. So, you know, making sure people understand that when you move to software as a service or you move, even if you move to agile, um, you know, that that is not just like a new way of, you know, delivering software or making software. It also has a lot of organizational, you know, knock on effects that you have to plan for and adapt to or you're not going to be very successful with it. Yeah, I mean, I'm planning my roadmap for March 7th right now. <laughs> <laughs> so. I guess I don't know. It would be nice. I, I can I can't even wrap my head at this point around 2021. Um, but I, I respect those that are that that can that, that have that that kind of foresight within the product to get there. Well, you know, it's one of the the, when the, the replacement cycle of your software license is years long, right? I mean, those are the kinds of right. and when you know and and, and you know when when. when Ripping it out and re- replacing it with a new version or a new upgrade or whatever is a implementation cycle of eighteen months. I mean, those are the kinds of timelines you have to think about, and it's um, it's not a world I've worked a lot in. I've always been in enterprise SaaS, but um, I know, you know people who do it. Well, tell me about your book, Product Management and Enterprise Software, that's coming out soon in O'Reilly. Sure. Where can people find it? What are they going to learn? So, uh, so yeah, the the title is Building Products for the Enterprise. Um, the book. Uh, website is buildingforbusiness.com, uh, and it's uh, it's due out early early March from O'Reilly Media. So Ben Gaines, my friend at, at Adobe, and I uh, co-wrote the book, uh, and it's about product management in enterprise software. Why it is different, um, how uh, you know some best practices for doing it, um, and some domains of knowledge that we think is are really important for enterprise product managers to to master. We found that a lot of the you know, kind of the narrative around product management out there, out there in the market today is heavily focused on startups, heavily focused on consumer businesses, which we didn't find always super useful for us. And I think that there is a uh, community of enterprise software people out there for whom um, 
there isn't a whole lot of content right now, and we're hoping to change that. Well, fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, really enjoyed it. And, you know, we look forward to keeping up with you and, and the release of the book. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks for having me on. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, so you don't miss future episodes in this series. And if you like today's episode, tell a friend. Or two friends or a lot of friends. We would love it if you would spread the word. And when you can, go to rocketship.fm and scroll all the way down and leave your email with us. We'll let you know about upcoming episodes, but we'll also get you in on a Slack channel with thousands of other product people and all sorts of other good stuff that we know about rocketship.fm. So go to rocketship.fm and sign up for our newsletter. If you enjoy this content, leave us a quick review um, or tell a friend or share the link on Twitter. Anything helps to get the word out about the show. We really appreciate it. We'll be right back here in just a couple of days.